and welcome to the 63rd Ornithology Podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is the digital, magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. In this episode, I will be chatting with Mark Lomas, Head of Culture at Lloyds of London. Mark will share his thoughts about inclusion and the role of a male ally, as well as allyship more broadly. Inesh Santos is away, so I will be talking you through the new content and the written issue again on her behalf. A quick reminder that you sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of our website. That's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast. We have Mark Lomas and he is Head of Culture at Lloyd's of London. Mark Lomas, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, always welcome. Now, full disclosure to everybody. We've known each other for quite some time, haven't we? How long have we known each other for, Mark? It must be, oh, 10 years, at least more than 10 years. We were, we were very young when we first started working together. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. I have a list of questions. So we'll get started if that's all right. So I've interviewed you in a written article as well, so we can link to that in the show notes. But let's talk through it all. I want to know everything, Mark. So could you start off by telling us about your educational background and career to date? Who is Mark Lomas? Mysterious deep question. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'll give you the, the positive history version. So yeah, I grew up in Bermuda. Most of my education from high school onwards was in music. So I went to Purcell School of Music in London. At 16, I went to the Juilliard School, finished uni at 19, and, and then came back to the UK, where I was pretty adamant I was going to have a, a great career, you know, playing classical music, this, that, and the other, and the next thing. And then I learned a pretty harsh lesson pretty quickly that there weren't many auditions here. It was who you knew and network. And I wasn't used to that. And I didn't have a network. And most of the network wasn't in London. It was outside of London. So that quickly went very badly for me. <laughs> so uh, I transitioned to music technology, did a lot of that. And then my daughter was born and uh, I quickly worked out that going off on tour with a newborn daughter wasn't going to work very well. And so I decided I was going to do a little work, keep me out of trouble while everybody was off touring. And then I started work with a disability charity called Shaw Trust. And I was essentially a pain in the backside, I think, is how the, the manager put it. Uh, and originally, <laughs> no, exactly, really, exactly. <laughs> so she sent me to the National Diversity Committee. And while I was there, I gave some pretty direct feedback and the the CEO kind of pulled me to the side after the meeting and said, look, you got some pretty interesting insights, but how you get across those insights, pretty rude. So <laughs> how about I work with you on, on how and you give it to me straight. So, okay. And although I didn't recognize it at the time, that was a kind of mentoring relationship. And a year later, the EDI job came up there. And I was kind of intent on going back to music. So I didn't apply. And the day before the deadline, 
the HR director called and said, oh, we noticed you didn't apply. I was like, yeah, no, I didn't apply. Because, you know, if I wanted to do it, I, I, I'd i want to do this, 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 and this. And uh, well, anyway, I might go back to music. And she was like, oh, okay. Why don't you just show up the interview and say that? And then we can decide if it's a good idea. <laughs> I said, yeah, okay, whatever. So yeah, so I was really lucky in one regard. And that was, there was a manager who liked the way I thought about things even if she didn't like how I expressed it and therefore decided to give me an opportunity. And that opportunity is responsible for the entirety of my career. Wow. 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 And conversely, you are one of the reasons why I got interested in diversity and inclusion. There you go. Back at you. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) The world has you to thank there. What I like about the way you do all this stuff is you take people along with you. Your enthusiasm brings people along, literally sweeps people along sometimes in a good way. Yeah. I mean, I've never really changed my view on it in that it's not hard to do if you just have the will and the skill to do it. I think where organizations go wrong is sometimes they have the will to improve diversity and inclusion the way they operate but they don't have the skill in their workforce uh, and their diversity person doesn't really have the levers of control to move things or isn't senior enough to have a voice at the decision-making table. And I suppose over the time I've spent in the sector, if I boil down all the complexity, I see sometimes organizations have the skill to do the things they need to do, but they don't have the will, sometimes the opposite. But when you get both, that's when you get pretty rapid progress. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So could you tell us a bit about Lloyds of London and the work that you do there as well? Yeah, sure. So my title is Head of Culture, which is a great title because everyone goes, yeah, and then has no idea what you do. So (laughs) internally, I'm responsible for diversity, inclusion, uh, well-being, employee engagement, and leadership capability sits in my strategy that managed another team. And then externally, responsible for oversight of the market around culture. So that's the regulatory uh, framework and applying that framework and then market engagement. So things like our international dive-in festival, which is, you know, DNI festival in 40 countries, 35,000 participants. So all of that sits with me. I suppose a great way to describe my role is it's like a head of DNI role, but I have all the levers I need to affect change, they sit with me. So there's less negotiation needed. (laughs) (laughs) We like that. Exactly. (laughs) And Lloyd's of London itself, I think a lot of people will have heard of it, but they might not fully get what it does. So what's your synopsis? Sure. So I'm going to stick to an explanation that someone gave me once when I was struggling to understand it. So Lloyd's of London is not an insurance company. It is an insurance market. So we set the rules and the operations and how people need to operate. And then each individual company does their thing. And we're kind of like a regulator. Think about it like a Westfield shopping center for insurance businesses, right? We're like the Westfield and each of the shops is like the insurance business. And they operate under particular rules and guidance, which Westfield has. That is Lloyd's of London. It's not an insurance company. And generally what people bring to be insured in Lloyd's of London are all sorts of complex risks. So things that would be very, very hard to insure with one insurance provider. 
Lloyd's, because of the market-based nature, is able to share that risk and then allow business to proceed. And the Lloyd's purpose says we share risk to create a braver world. And that is at the heart of what Lloyd's does. It shares the most complex risk. It also has ensured some very, very interesting items like famous people's legs. However, my favorite is, I think the figure is, in the history of Lloyd, 60,000 people have approached us for insurance to prevent themselves becoming werewolves or vampires and such and such. So <laughs> if you can imagine it, someone's had the conversation. Well, that's changed the whole way I'm seeing the whole thing now. <laughs> and I suppose the, the complex nature of the relationships and the relationships with different organisations, that means that the whole culture and diversity and inclusion piece is really interesting as well, I'd imagine, for that reason. Yeah, absolutely fascinating because it's not one company. There's the corporation itself, but then there's the couple of hundred organizations that work within the market. And of course, you can't dictate what each individual company's culture is going to be, but you can set principles, requirements, expectations of how a market operates. And I suppose for Lloyd's, it's been quite a rapid transition in the last few years. So the first woman broker at Lloyd's was 1972, right? Now, bearing in mind, Lloyd's in some form existed since 1688 and incorporated as we would understand it today, kind of mid 1800. The first woman broker was 1972. And today, 43% of the people that work in the Lloyd's market are women. So for someone like me, you see 43% women in the sector and you see that it's about 32% women in leadership. And that progress has happened over the last couple of years. But from someone like my perspective, that's still a little slow. You know? But there are people who have worked in the market that were working in the market in 1972. So to them, the rate of progress has been exponential. And you've got a really interesting balance to maintain between those who think, well, haven't we come far enough? And those who think, no, we've not come far yet. And then to add to that stakeholder complexity, we are the regulators for only one half of the ecosystem. So we regulate the managing agents, the people that underwrite the risk. We're not the regulator for the brokers. So with one half of the market, we have both stick and carrot. With the other half of the market, we only have influence. So it is an incredibly interesting and complex stakeholder management environment. But when the Lloyd's market gets behind something, it tends to move as a collective fairly impressively. Well, they've got you in the mix now as well, so I can see the pace picking up, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> and in terms of your personal interest in inclusion, so this episode of the podcast is the Men as Allies episode. So what is your personal interest in inclusion and being an ally and why is it so important to you? I think we've touched on it a little bit. I think it stemmed from that particular point in my life when I was having no success at something I've always been successful at. And I, I got very frustrated and I flew back to, to Bermuda and I got off the plane at 6.35. And, and by that evening, I had lots of, of pretty good job offers. So I was thinking, you know, that's really weird. I'm exactly the same person. I've got exactly the same skills. I've got exactly the same attributes. Yet my value is understood very differently in one place versus another. And then it wasn't until I kind of understood the more relationship-based nature of British business 
and the fact that networking is such a huge part of career development here. Yet there's this addiction to this idea of meritocracy that got me really interested. And I don't for a minute think there's any meritocracy whatsoever. I think we do our best to, to try. And to me, at its best, diversity and inclusion is change. It helps move more towards that meritocracy where we can adjust the systems and the processes and the evaluation methods, et cetera, that sort of are responsible for the success of some groups and keeping other groups where they are. So to me, that's what I like about it. You can see and feel the change over a period of time. And then for me, why is it important for me being an ally? I often get irritated when I see a one plus one plus one plus one approach to diversity, right? We're going to do women this year and we'll do ethnically diverse people next year and we'll do LGP. To me, it's not divisible, you know, right? If you are top diversity professional, you've got to represent absolutely everybody in an organization. That is your job. I have a lot of time for lived experience but lived experience doesn't make you a professional who's able to support everybody. And therefore being an ally for me is the best way to learn. You learn so much more by being in it, by going through experiences with people, by supporting them through a process, learning to see things from other people's point of view. So to me, that's why it's really powerful. And I was also brought up by a single mom. I'm scared of her to this day <laughs> as, as the one person I will not disagree with. <laughs> and when I was bringing up my daughter for a large period of time, it was me and her predominantly. So when I think back on my career, with the exception of one manager or leader, every single manager or leader that gave me an opportunity was a woman. So for me, being an ally, it just makes absolute sense. And somebody said to me, but said, actually, being an ally, though, the person tells you that you're the ally as well, almost, don't they? It's a role that you earn almost. Yeah, absolutely. And then I know that being an ally has become more commonplace or the language has become more commonplace. But you're right. You can be an ally and feel good about yourself and be making absolutely no difference. So do make sure you check in with those you're, you're being an ally to because that really helps. <laughs> I think something you said to me before as well, which was really powerful, was nothing for us without us. Was that the wording? Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I really absolutely. Like. Yeah. At its root, that is about respecting people and involving them in the decision-making process or in the information which leads to being able to take a decision. And of course, in your operating in a business, there are choices, there are realities, there are commercial realities. And therefore, the more informed choice you can make, the better it is. And, and in my career, I've always found as long as you are willing to listen, to consult, to respect the viewpoints, to take it on board, to consider what people are saying, and you're comfortable laying out the rationale for how you reach your decision and, and why, people will tend to come with you, even if they don't necessarily agree uh, with the decision that you've taken, but they can understand how you got there. They respected the fact that you've taken on board their opinion, et cetera, et cetera. And somebody has to make the decision. So, yeah. So I think that getting people's input, nothing for us without us is incredibly important. And for people that want to be allies, so maybe just people who want to be allies to other colleagues that they're working with, whoever, if they want to be better allies, 
sometimes I think there's this fear of saying the wrong thing or not quite knowing all the information or whatever. What would your tips be for people that want to be allies in the workplace, but they're not quite sure how to go about it? And there's that other challenge of sometimes what we do is the underrepresented group, we put the pressure on them to educate us and we'll ask them loads of questions when in actual fact, maybe we should be educating ourselves a little bit about some of these issues if we care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a balance to be had, right? So self-education, absolutely. You know, if you don't know the basics, go find out the basics, <laughs> right? So don't go and do that. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with asking people how they wish to be supported. You know, what is the most effective way I can support you? Is it saying something in the meeting if I hear a comment at that particular time? Is it using my position because I'm on this group or this committee to get them to explore gender equity in this area? Is it I'm a leader in the business, you need me to be visible and openly supportive of International Women's Day and other things. It's the most helpful way to make sure that I give talented people opportunities on informal projects, this, that, and the other. So when in doubt, don't sit there and worry, just go and ask why. And diverse talent, why is diverse talent the very best kind of talent? It's a great question. So one of the things that you hear in the UK all the time is this kind of marrying diversity with a minority of sorts. Right? Well, if you take all the diverse characteristics, they are the majority. <laughs> so diversity is actually about the majority. And when we say diverse talent, people often say to me, oh, well, what you're saying is you can't have any white men. No, what I'm saying is diverse talent encompasses everybody. But when you've got predominantly one sort of talent, you need to ask yourself why. And is that going to give you the best decision making? Is it going to give you the best innovation? And is it going to help you resolve thorny things in the best way? The answer to that is inevitably no. So when we talk about diverse talent, to me, it's talent of all kinds and descriptions and backgrounds and genders and every conceivable background. But it's the balance of talent that you have, where that talent is in your organization and actually being pretty deliberate about ensuring that you are reaching a wide variety of talent in your selection processes. And I think sometimes where organizations get it wrong is it kind of got a Kevin Costner field of dreams approach to it. Oh, if we build it, they will come, you know, and then they're confused as to why no one's come. You have to be more deliberate than that. And I think for some people still talking about diversity and inclusion is difficult or emotionally charged or this and the other, but pretty much every business in the world understands talking about talent. And so for me, that diverse talent bit is incredibly important. And you can see it in studies all across the world. And the teams that sell the most video games, they're made by the most diverse teams. Boards and executives, which have diversity, do better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just goes on and on and on and on. And our diversity is our strength. And yet people still view diversity as a weakness, or they feel they have to lose out for somebody else to win. And we really have to get over that and learn a, a better language for that. Easy to say, difficult to do. Now, Mark, diversity and inclusion initiatives that you put in place at Lloyds of London, what's going on there and how are these going? What are you up to? What are the things you're working on at the moment? 
Yeah, loads. So we're planning our, our dive in 2023, which is a huge undertaking, but a wonderful one. And we're adding new parts to the dive in festival. So there'll be the core three day festival at the end of September as normal, but there'll be a global reverse mentoring program, which will tag on to dive in as well. We have our development programs, which are still running. So we have advanced, which is a development program for women all across the Lloyd's market really successful, fantastic conversion rates into promotions and career moves after that. We have been researching Lloyd's history with transatlantic slavery and the research and launch of the online exhibition and Lloyd's response to that is due in November. And at the same time, we're doing lots of work on the oversight framework. We've just finished the regulatory piece for this year. So it is really all systems go, but it's better to be busy than bored. Well, I think that's absolutely right. So if we want to keep up to date with what you're doing, where do we follow you? LinkedIn is probably the best. We will encourage people to follow what you're doing, which is great. And in terms of intersectionality, why is it so important that we take an intersectional approach to inclusion? Essentially, nobody is just one thing, right? And therefore, it is very important to consider how various characteristics, experiences overlap. For a lot of organizations, it's very difficult because never mind doing intersectional analysis, they struggle to get the diversity data analysis in the first place. But thinking through that is extremely important. We have a gender balance network at Lloyd's and ensuring that gender community is reflective of the wider staff base, whether that be ethnicity, disability, et cetera, is very important because that includes everyone in the conversation. So the intersectional approach is just a smarter way to operate. And if you have the data to help you, um, again, what it just helps you fine tune your action. So you can really take action where it's gonna move the dial. So how can organizations embrace inclusion wholeheartedly rather than just taking this tick box approach? And how does that link back to the culture of the organization? Speaking to head of culture. So I think this is pretty easy to do. The number one thing is, does it count? Does it count for your senior teams? If they have bonus frameworks, then bonus frameworks should be tied to achieving your diversity, engagement, culture, metrics, et cetera. It is at Lloyd's. 15% of our executive leader scorecard is culture. Don't achieve it. It hits everybody in the pocket. And it's a group scorecard. So it's a team game. You're very likely to pick up the phone or teams your colleague and say, look, we're behind. Let's get on with it. So accountability is, is one. Number two, it's not only about events and raising awareness, right? It is about looking at your HR processes through that diversity lens and then changing them. Because I think too many organizations try and fix the people. Well, let's, you know, let's give the women assertiveness training and we'll give the black people mentors and, and blah, 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 without doing anything to fix the inherent bias that's coming out of their processes or the bias from which those processes were built. And then I think the last stage of that is honesty and transparency. No organization is perfect and therefore the rhetoric should match the reality. And I think people are getting smarter to that. You're trumpeting that you're this, that, the other, and the next thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's all over social media and you got the logos and blah, but actually fundamentally people just are not having a good time in the organization. It's clear to see there's no diversity that backfires. So accountability at the top, 
take on the meaningful work of change, hold yourselves to account and be transparent about your results. And what is coming up next for you? What are you looking forward to? It can be in work, it can be out of work, whatever you're excited about. What is next for me? So the Lloyd's market is on the cusp of achieving one of its targets. So back in 2019, Lloyd set a 35% women in leadership target for the whole of the Lloyd's market. And last year when we ran the data, we got to 32 point something across the Lloyd's market. And because of the size of the market and it's growing, that figure, that 35% target is within reach. So if you take turnover out of the equation, we need something like 115 more women leaders out of a workforce of 48,000. To me, that is very achievable. The smart money says we'll probably miss it by a whisker, but I'm still pretty hopeful. So yeah, I want to make sure that we get that over the line in the next couple of years. Obviously, we've got our response to the transatlantic slavery archives and launch in November. That's going to be a very difficult but important piece of work as well. So those will be the things on my mind over the next few weeks before I go on holiday. And then none of it's going to be on my mind for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) But that's good. It says you've got balance. It's like work hard and then you go on holiday and you just chill. So we like that. But whatever we can do to help and support, then we are here. And in that regard, we have an announcement coming up shortly and all will be revealed. So if you follow all our channels, we will get word to you soon. And we're definitely looking forward to it. Well, I love a mysterious announcement. So it's been the greatest pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. Mark Lomas, Head of Culture at Lloyds of London. As Inesh Santos, our associate editor, is away at the moment, I'm bringing you the new stories in the written issue on her behalf. Stories include Michael Johnston, co-founder of Wading Herons Group, discusses unlocking the power of data to help organisations not only find commercial success, but become happier, more joyful and more trusting places to work. Michael also talks about how toxic masculine culture is not only detrimental to women, but also to men too. Dr. Craig Brown, Investment Director at the UK Space Agency, shares his commitment to allyship for women and indeed all underrepresented groups as a gay man who has himself, earlier in his career, experienced firsthand what it is like to feel like he had less career opportunities available to him in the workplace. Craig also discusses the need to prioritise diversity and inclusion initiatives if we want economic growth. Andy Boothman, founder of Dresscode, a fashion tech startup with sustainability at its heart, a business that he runs alongside his brand and marketing agency, shares how using virtual working to allow his teams to work in the way that suits them most means that they can be at their creative best. He also chats about sharing his love of all things STEM-related with his 10-year-old daughter. Do check out our website, womanthology.co.uk, to read the full stories. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link to the show on social media and also follow the show. The feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. This is the last written issue and podcast episode before we take our summer break, but we'll be back in September. 
Until then, have a wonderful summer and don't forget you can access our full archive of podcast episodes and written content via our website to keep you going until we return. 